Hello and welcome to the Sala podcast. My name is Steph and today I'm delighted to be interviewing Ruby Allegra ahead of their upcoming solo exhibition from my room at Newmarch Gallery. It's super relevant that we are catching up in Ruby's home in their room, (laughs) quite uh, contextually on point there. Um, But before we go ahead, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge that we are on the traditional lands and waters of the Ghana people and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. Ruby, thank you so much for finding time to chat in the lead up to your exhibition. No worries. Thanks for having me (laughs) and welcome to my uh, messy, chaotic room. (laughs) It's good. It looks inspired and yeah, definitely things happening, which we're what, like a bit under a month out? At the time of yep. recording, so. <laughs> yeah, my my mum texted me exactly like a, a, on the day a month out of my show, being like a month, and I was like, thanks, mum, <laughs> love you, mum. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, before we get stuck into this interview, I just wanted to ask about how you define your practice. So, do you think of your art making as separate from your other pursuits, like tattooing, zine making? makeup artistry or do they feel interconnected and do you sort of consider them as one thing I feel like it they all kind of connect together to inform my practice or like the medium that I'm using I guess kind of depends on the work that I'm wanting to make and like what the message is or you know what I'm wanting someone to feel from receiving that work and so that's kind of what informs where I choose to go in terms of direction of like what medium I'm going to use for mm. it. So I think, yeah, having all of those different elements, um, I definitely think it's uh, probably very closely linked with like my ADHD as well and autism in terms of getting hyper fixated on specific hobbies or skills or things yeah. and, and having a having a hyper fixation really intensely and being like, <laughs> oh, I've just discovered this new um, skill or this new medium and yeah. it's really cool to use <laughs> and I'm going to really over hyper focus on that for a very long time. <laughs> and just works kind of as like, an artist. So. Exactly. <laughs> it, and just kind of accumulating different, um, well, different skills and, delivery, and yeah, yeah, formats of knowledge and communication and uh, – I think that kind of sums me up as a person as well because I don't really sit with any binary or box of... um, It's a nice parallel. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, in all sort of areas of my work, I don't really like the idea of just sticking to one thing and Mm. um, I guess like putting all my eggs in one basket or Mm, whatever. Or being Um, defined by one medium. yeah, Yeah, I think it... I think there's too many rules that we're taught growing up about art and what it should be and what it shouldn't be and who should be allowed to do it mm. and access and it. To do it. Yeah. And I think that that's, um, I don't agree with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could drop a, a bleep in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. No, uh, I totally get where you are coming yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess following on from that did you always know you were going to be creative? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I was actually, um, the other day I was looking, my mum found a box of all my old artwork from when I was little. Oh gosh, that can be an experience. Oh, <laughs> uh, it was, it was pretty funny. Like looking through some of the stuff that I was doing and I was like, 
I haven't changed at all. <laughs> I haven't changed at all in terms of style or, I love it. you know, color or whatever. Um, was the pink and red a pink, thing back then? Pink and red, absolutely thing. Pink, absolutely. <laughs> For my whole life. My, my first wheelchair was pink. Amazing. Like hot pink. Yeah. Um, but, and rainbows and like butterflies and flowers. And I'm, I think I'm like, okay, as an adult, I'm kind of like revisiting my childhood. Yeah, would. and those motifs. And yeah, things, I yeah. mean, like, particularly as a, like, disabled artist, like, growing up and my childhood was not, I had to grow up in, in a very uh, different manner to everyone else my age, and so um, there wasn't a huge amount of time for being a kid. It was mm. just, like, very informed by medical trauma and being surrounded by adults at all times and social isolation and all of that kind of stuff. So even though I was a kid with a really vivid imagination and like love for color and all of these different things, I didn't always have access to that either socially or because I, you know, was dealing with being a disabled child in a non-accessible world. Um, and so, like, as an adult now, I, it's kind of been fun being able to revisit mm. some of the things that I loved as a child and and allow myself to, like, re revisit my love for them um, and just be like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't give a shit. Like, if, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> if I want to make art that's just, like, covered in rainbows and flowers <laughs> and pink and... Um, you know, revisiting things that might seem childish or whatever. I don't mm. know. It's, it's underpinned by something actually quite meaningful. Yeah, but yeah. I, yeah, but I can remember drawing and painting f- for as long as I can remember. <laughs> I, I mean, art, like I, as a little child, I've had, you know, physical therapy pretty much for my whole life, which I'm very lucky to have, you know, accessed. Um, but you know a lot of a lot of that therapy was quite painful and drawing and art was what i would do you know during some of those times to manage that pain and to um pass the time like mm. even just at appointments lots of waiting around and lots mm. of like sitting around with a bunch of adults kind of having adult conversations about mm. me and about my body and all of this kind of stuff so yeah, uh, art and was definitely a good escape from that. Mm, so it's always been there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and how would you describe your art to someone you just met? Mm. A tricky one. <laughs> it is a tricky one because I think it would also depend on the person mm. that I'm meeting. And you know, how much like, time do you have? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It well, but also like uh, you know, who is that person? Is yeah. that person a child? Oh, yeah. You know, am I am I explaining my show to a child? Oh my god, how am would I... you describe it to your younger self? <sighs> oh, that's such a cool question. <laughs> well, I I really wanted to honor my younger self in this show like I think it that's a huge part of it mm. um and oh, I don't know I think <laughs> when I was trying to make decisions about mm, creative decision making through the process of building the works mm. I was just thinking about like what would six-year-old me love mm. what would six-year-old me get really excited yeah. about and 
allowing those decisions to kind of be informed by that. Mm. So if I was talking to young me about this show, I would probably say it would be a sparkly pink rainbow world that talks a lot about both how wonderful and joyful it is to exist in my body, but also how tricky and painful it can be as well in the world that we live in. Um, Yeah, I think... That's gentle enough for a child to hear. (laughs) Honestly, but, like, still Mm. with, um, yeah, Yeah. lots of fun and and things that you can touch and feel and interact with. Cool. Um, So there's another rib broken there. You can touch some of the other Yeah. I love that. Yeah, there's a lot of different um, sort of interactive elements of the show which will be fun yeah and what i mean we've dived right into the show itself yeah um (laughs) how many different like mediums i have you got in the show like it sounds like there's at least there's 3d stuff yeah so that there's quite a few i guess i've got furniture pieces that i'm painting and uh that will include a bed because i guess the concept of the show the show is from my room so it's kind of set up like a bedroom that's so So you're coming into my room and my world and my space and yeah so there'll be some furniture pieces there's digital works which will be printed there will be painting works oil acrylic there's lino print clay work, oh embroidery, <laughs> crochet, and, like, other textiles. Wow. <laughs> there's a lot. When I, there's a lot of different uh, zines, you know, like, oh, cool. lo- lots of different... I, I wanted it to be reflective of, like, how I work naturally yeah. as an artist. And I think... And I guess it goes back into your question earlier, like, I have a lot of different methods of making work because I I really need to be be prepared in on any given day for what my body is going to be capable of doing and so you know like if I wake up and I'm in huge amounts of pain and I can't leave my bed mm. what can I do so that I can keep making art because mm. that's that's how my brain finds joy and peace is through making work so what can I do when I'm having a really big flare with my uh, chronic pain or whatever Mm. and so that might be you know drawing on my ipad in bed which i have been doing lots of it might be crocheting in bed while i'm Mm. watching tv but then you know when i have energy and spoons um I'll explain spoon theory in a a little bit. So I'll like jump to that in a bit. But when I have energy and I can make it into, you know, the studio, Mm. what can I, you know, what Mm. sort of things can I do there? I can work on my clay. I can do painting. I can do lino print. And, and so it, it honestly, like the fact that there are so many different mediums, I think is more an access component for me than anything else. Mm. And, and I think, yeah, I've been very lucky that I've been able to have access to a studio space for the last coming up to two years Mm. now down at post office projects, um, gallery and studios in Port Adelaide. Uh, and so I've been very lucky that I've been able to spread out my practice a little bit more and, 
start to experiment with creating some bigger works Mm. because up until that point a lot of my work I was creating on in my bed or at my kitchen table or you know wherever I can fit there's so many people nodding their heads yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and then like getting so overwhelmed because there's no room to sit and eat dinner so (laughs) as we are currently speaking we're sitting on one half of my double bed and the other half is entirely covered in materials for making work I've got yarn for crochet and my blanket in progress i've got my invitations printed (gasps) yeah you can have a sneak peek if you want yeah you can have a look at it yeah yeah i love it um yeah so (laughs) but i think that's the like that's comes back to the theme and like the title of the Mm. show from my room which is really about you know, this idea that for a lot of disabled people in general, not just artists, but any disabled person, particularly multiply marginalized disabled people, a lot of the time our our beds and our rest spaces are also our workspaces. Mm. They're also our community building spaces, our protest spaces. And that's not always out of choice mm. quite often that's a factor of you know an inaccessible and ableist environment outside in the world and so we retreat into these spaces to to access what we're not able to physically mm. um and so that's where you know social media and online connection come in and um yeah so it's a essentially it's really it's really about how that concept of what it means to like be able to show up or to build community what does that look like Mm. you know if you can't do that physically Mm. if you can't show up physically because of the you know structure of our society Mm. and it is quite a concept if you aren't someone who's in that position Mm. and your room just has one purpose yes you know yes it's a lot to wrap your head around and having so many modes within a single space yeah well i mean like people talk a lot about keeping your rest space and your workspace separate and you know only using your rest space for sleeping Mm. and sex and you know whatever (laughs) limited things (laughs) you know and then doing other you know work elsewhere disabled people don't have that option Mm. and you know i'm also a privileged disabled person because i'm you know white i have access to community support and family support networks and I have a house space that I can live in I have a bedroom I have a bed you know Mm. so it it encourages you to think more about people who don't have access to safe or stable housing and all of that kind of stuff Mm. but um yeah I think I went on a huge tangent I love it I love it Actually, we should go back and revisit spoon theory. Not that it is your job to explain it, but just for anyone who doesn't quite grasp what that is, we're not talking about literal spoons. No, no. Spoon theory is a concept created by a chronically ill disabled person. And it is, I guess, a method of terminology and language use, which is designed by and for predominantly disabled, chronically ill, sick people. 
Um, and spoons are a concept that kind of explains. Is it kind of like a unit of capacity? Like a yeah, spoon? basically. So like the basic idea is that if you are not a disabled person, if you're uh, not chronically ill, you're healthy, you're neurotypical. The idea is that you each day you wake up kind of with, I guess, an unlimited supply of energy mm. to do whatever you want to do during the day, to do, you know, t- basic tasks around the house, whether that's, you know, like having a shower or, you know, mm. eating breakfast or whatever. And you wouldn't even think about it. Exactly. It's a just an unlimited sort of supply of energy. And sure, there are different things that might make mm. that fluctuate. But it's very different to where spoon theory comes in, which is the idea that particularly for disabled people, chronically ill, sick, um, neurodivergent people, we often don't wake up with an unlimited supply of energy. So it's kind of spoons are used as a, I guess, a measurement of like energy usage through a day. Mm. And so it's this idea that you might, wake up with only a finite amount of energy or Mm. a finite amount of spoons in your day and each day you have to use those spoons to do all the tasks that you want to do in that day but you've only got a certain amount of spoons so Mm. you need to be very careful about rationing how Mm. you use those spoons or Mm. those little chunks of energy mm. to do the things that you want to do. In it's it. almost like a currency, isn't it? You've got to decide where you it spend them. It absolutely is a yeah. currency. Mm. And, um, you know, different tasks might require different amount of spoons. Mm. So, you know, if, uh, you might wake up and you've got like 10 spoons. I'm using numerical <laughs> values just to explain it. Like yeah. I don't wake up and I'm like, I've got seven and a half <laughs> spoons today. My spoon dog. <laughs> yeah, <seven>. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but like to, as a way of explaining, the currency is a really good analogy. And I've actually got a piece specifically about uh, spoons as currency. Like, oh, I love like that. going spoon shopping, grocery shopping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, and so it's this idea that, you know, if I wake up and I have 10 spoons, uh, in a day and I want to have a shower and that takes five spoons, mm. I want to eat lunch and that takes another five spoons already. We're at 10 spoons, yeah. but I might also want to do something else. Like, I don't know, see a friend or whatever mm. that might take another five spoons. So I'm either going to have to sacrifice doing one of those things on that list Mm -hmm. or I'm going to push myself to do all of them and I'll potentially have a lot less spoons the next day Mm. Um, or it will send me into a flare-up or I'll be, you know, where I'll be in lots of pain, Mm. you know, and and heavily fatigued. And that's where fatigue and, you know, being tired after a long day are two very different things. So, you know, I'm sure... A lot of artists can relate to fatigue and burnout and and a lot of that kind of stuff. It's it's um it's like that, but like a lot more intense mm. and it informs every area of your life. Mm. You know, I have to think very, very uh carefully about how I plan my days mm. so that I can do the things that I need to do, but also things that I would like to do mm. um without it 
uh, without sacrificing my physical and, and mental well-being mm. in the process. Um, it's not an easy thing to learn. No, it sounds like you almost sure. have to plan not just what you're doing, but plan the energy use days oh, in ahead. Absolutely, Gosh. absolutely. Often I will write a list before I go to bed of things that I have to do or things that I want to do the next day, and I will then review that list the next morning when I wake up mm. and I can feel how my body's feeling and... Often I'll have to cross lots of things off that list mm. when I review it and realize like, oh, I actually don't have the spoons or capacity to yeah. do any of these tasks today. And I can only afford to get out of bed and brush my teeth yeah. or something, yeah. you know. Which makes the fact that you're about to have your first solo show even more <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's been very difficult. Yeah. Um, and... Certainly the pandemic has not helped. <laughs> um, I actually had COVID three or four weeks ago mm. um, and that really hit me hard. I'm, I'm thankful that I have managed to avoid getting it until this moment, but it really knocked me around and, uh, and I have gotten sick a couple of times after that. Mm. So it's yeah the the kind of like managing the spoons over the last sort of year or so has been not an easy thing oh <laughs> um but it's kind of i guess having this show sort of you know i guess in the back of my mind you know as something to look forward to mm. has definitely been a motivating factor in like knowing exactly when it is i've got this date this mm. deadline to work towards um and i'm just like it's just something I'm so excited about, mm. you know, preparing that. Um, a lot of the work that I've made for this show I've been making in my bed from my room. You know, I've got pieces that I made while while I was in bed with COVID. <laughs> Not being able to breathe. <laughs> oh gosh, but you could make art, yeah. <laughs> I, could ma- I could make art, but that was, uh, you know, mostly because if I didn't I you know because my brain was feeling active and and needing to be stimulated and that's a big part of like my autism as well as needing that like stimulation Mm. and and making art is sometimes the only way that I feel like I can and uh you know manage that Mm. energy and so yeah when I had COVID when I wasn't sleeping (laughs) When I wasn't sleeping, I I couldn't really even like sit up enough in my bed to look at my TV or, you know, so drawing was something that I could kind of focus on while I was lying down. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's, (laughs) that makes all the different mediums make so much more sense. Yeah. 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 I can't wait to see them all in there. And actually speaking of the space, cause you said you've gone and seen the space itself. Yeah. Is this the first time that you've worked with the sort of classic white cube kind of gallery? Yeah. Um, I would say so. I, I've had work in other shows before, like in group shows. I was in a group show called Visibility uh, curated by some wonderful people, Pauline Vituna and Hannah Murphy-Walsh. And that was all disabled and trans or disabled POC artists. And that was presented at uh, Windermark Gallery in Victoria. And that, I guess, was also sort of working with a gallery space. But because that was in interstate show, I didn't have anything to do with the actual installation mm, process. Okay. Um, so, yeah, this is my first solo show. And I'm my first time kind of working in a like a 
gallery <laughs> <Yeah>. space. <laughs> and it sounds like you are enjoying that level of control. With oh, the- absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. when you say, like, I'm setting up, like, a room, it's like, yes. Yes, I'm so excited. And the thing I, I loved about when I sort of went to see the, the space was being able to chat to Ed, who works there, about, you know, the different ways that the space can be used mm. and sort of adapted to fit your needs in terms of, like, movable walls mm, and stuff like that. Cool. And yeah. I kind of went in, like, guns blazing and I was like, okay, so can we pl- paint the walls pink and uh, <laughs> can this be rainbow and can we have this and this? Look, if you don't ask. <laughs> exactly, exactly. If you don't ask, you're not going to know. Um, and, you know, he was like, oh, you know, there's there's stickers on the windows with the artist's name and, like, a little bit of information about the show. And I was like, can, I, can it be a different colour? And he was like, let's ask. Oh, and so it's been really cool being able to have the, the vision that's in my head because I have a very visual, like, oh, so you can brain see and imagination. Yeah. yeah, very, very visual in terms of my thought processes. I can really strongly visualize how I want it to to be and to have the space that I can use in whichever way I want for this whole month is really cool. It's a lot of power, isn't it? <laughs> it's a lot of power. It is. It? <laughs> it is a lot of power. And, and I don't take that lightly at all, you know, because I've been given the amazing privilege of having this gallery space and this exhibition And I don't take that lightly at all because it is such a difficult space to, to be working as a disabled trans artist in a very mainstream art sort of scene and representation and, and even just depictions of disability and mobility aids in art is almost nothing. Mm. Um, but also, like, I have this platform and community is very important to me. So, you know, there are other people who don't have access to platforms, you know, who should have access to them. And so, you know, if I've been given this opportunity, I'm absolutely going to take it and use it to the best of my ability mm. to uplift community and build community where I can. Mm. Um, and that's a huge part of my sort of value system in planning all of my works is you know there's there's lots of I guess um political well not political political and and social I guess social conversations Mm. and they're sort of imbued into the work definitely yeah. yeah and I you know I even had a chat to one of the um staff members at the prospect library which is joined on to the gallery about working with them to set up a, a display of books specifically curated for the show. Oh, cool. Um, so that I can, you know, say, okay, well, you've, you've received my artwork. You can process that. However, I've given you the starting, mm. a, a starting point of, of one perspective of being a disabled trans person in this mm. world. And this is where you can go from here. Mm, These are the people that you should be reading and and watching and Mm. and supporting. These are the people I've learned from. These are the people that, you know, 
should be getting platforms as well mm. who have platforms some some of them that's a great uh, bit of co-programming <clears throat> yeah give, you know here's the continuation and exactly you know. <laughs> well I mean, because like often you know people's response to i guess coming up against something that they're not really familiar with or um, you know don't really understand too much about is well okay what can i do what how can i be a better ally and that can sometimes get a little bit grating on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, multiply marginalized people who yeah. are just working yeah. <laughs> hard to survive this mm. kind of bullshit, transphobic, racist, ableist world. Yeah. Um, and so if I can take some of that um, yeah. labor and, and sort of just like, condense it down into like a reading list yeah. at least or something that yeah. people can be like well i don't i'm i don't know how to be an ally and it's like okay well we've, we've done the work for you yeah here the resources are here yeah the, here is a literal reading list i am going to have a reading list at my exhibition Amazing. i'm not even exaggerating here's a reading list take it and go go yeah. and yeah. support these artists yeah. this is not read, vague. read this, is... this 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 writing yeah read this this work consume all of this knowledge that I don't own mm. that has been given to me by other people mm. and you know pe- you add to it as you go but it's like one kind of like it's a big it just kind of goes in so many library different directions things, yeah. exactly a library <laughs> of things and I think it's really cool that we can tie in with that yeah and nice to have that supporting the show and because I think that's one of those things is that yes there's a lot of really fun aesthetics and like Mm -hmm. you said borrowing from that uh childhood kind of feeling but also it is underpinned by this great interconnectedness this community Mm -hmm. there's a lot going on so to have that evident and tied back and yeah yeah and i'm sure did you there's gonna be a catalog as well yeah there'll be i'm currently designing a catalog (laughs) for it actually yeah I'm just um I'm kind of thinking about having the pages kind of go in a rainbow order so like having that. like a yeah. set up like a rainbow uh but uh yeah there'll be a catalog with some pictures of some of the works mm-hmm. um and I've got a couple of um amazing uh disabled writers that I'm going to be commissioning to write some words for the catalog amazing um and yeah, well, I'll hopefully have like the reading list in in there as well, cool. and um, that'll be a great resource. QR codes totally. and things like that, um, because a big part of my practice is accessibility as an art form and as just a way of thinking from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, fantastic. The catalog is coming along. <laughs> accessibility i noticed that yeah you've got a lot of uh considerations uh noted in the eventbrite listing mm-hmm. for the exhibition um yep. from you know the exhibition will be viewable online throughout the month which is fantastic um and a suite of physical communication and sensory uh things listed um mm-hmm. yeah there's a lot there <laughs> yeah there is um as there should be yes um 
I think a big part of my practice is uh, considering access methods and accessibility of art and artwork from the beginning stages of any work that I create or any kind of planning process is thinking about who's going to be wanting to access this work and how can I facilitate that. And I guess that's where my university uh, education comes in because I studied speech pathology um, and so I have pretty good understanding of things like communication access and all of that kind of stuff um, and then obviously my own you know physical access needs and sensory access needs um, but I think it's really important that art is made with accessibility at the forefront of thinking because I mean if anyone has, you know, the privilege of aging, regardless of whether or not they are currently disabled, they will become disabled. And the fact that, you know, like ableism kind of entwines into every kind of facet of, of human existence and it goes hand in hand with so many other structures which uphold things like white supremacy and transphobia and fatphobia and queerphobia and all of that. Um, and I, yeah, I strongly believe in not viewing accessibility as something that is an, an add-on. Mm. Um, I think it's something that is considered an afterthought if it's considered at all. And often within art spaces, it's not, mm. it's not. And, you know, that might make some people uncomfortable, but it's a fact. That's a fact. Is the art, you know, for a very long time, art spaces have been notoriously not accessible physically, financially, socially, class-wise, you know. And I think that it's something that everyone should be able to access and make and own and do and engage with. Whether that's, you know, being able to afford to collect art or being able to afford to make art and not have to spend all of your money and resources as a poor artist, <laughs> you know, on things like bringing your own access to spaces or things like that. And so when I'm, I'm considering things like accessibility, it's not just about, you know, if I can get in the room, even though that's one consideration, if I can get in a room most people with mobility needs can also get into the room because I have quite a large and heavy powered wheelchair. But that's not the only thing that determines what access is or should look like. And it's not to say that things should or can be universally accessible because that's not possible. No, it's not. Because what works for one disabled person might be completely inaccessible to another disabled person. Mm. but it's something that needs to be considered. And the only reason that, you know, things to do with accessibility are so costly or supposedly so hard to find and, and do is because people don't think about them. Mm. They don't use them. And so those resources aren't becoming mainstream and therefore affordable. Mm. Um, and people leave it till the last minute. So, I, I think there's something... There's something um, up there. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's... It, it's I, I really think it's it's 
time. It's past time. It's absolutely past time that that exhibitions and art spaces and artwork and anything to do with, you know, creative arts, whether that's visual arts or performing arts or, you know, whatever, it is way past time that those spaces and institutions be allowed to remain completely inaccessible and exclusive of disabled and deaf and chronically ill people. Mm. Um, particularly those who are also people of colour, First Nations, trans, etc. And so a big part of what I wanted to provide with this show is, yes, it's going to be pretty and cute and joyful and happy, but it's also going to hopefully encourage some people in the industry to question their methods and and make some changes to their practice and the way that they engage with disabled artists, the way that uh, gallery spaces work to incorporate accessibility in shows, whether mm-hmm. that's with things like, you know, Auslan interpreted writing or um, Braille or audio description Mm. or image descriptions, you know, there are so many different things that can be done that, you know, like if I, one disabled person, am doing these things, institutions, galleries, organizations that have access to much more funding than I do, (laughs) absolutely (laughs) can do these things. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and that goes for accessing the artworks too, which is why I'm trying to incorporate, I'll be incorporating tactile artworks mm. that people can touch, sensory artworks, I'll be building a giant blanket fort that people can go inside <gasps> that's going to be accessible. Yeah. I have a friend who will be doing some Auslan descriptions of works because yes. Auslan, of course, is a separate language to English. Um, and I'll have, you know, image descriptions and audio descriptions. And yes, it's a lot to think about, but I consider it as a part of my practice, Mm. not as an addition to my practice. And so that's just something that I weave into my thought processes. I don't have this list, you know, next to me when I'm doing all of my (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh, well... I know that not every single piece is going to be accessible to every mm-hmm. single person, but you've got to start from somewhere mm-hmm. and it's about trial and error and, mm-hmm. you know, how can you creatively make your work more accessible mm-hmm. or how could you creatively incorporate accessibility and access methods mm-hmm. um, without without hiding them? Because it's still important to incorporate those things as things of beauty and they can Mm. be beautiful. And I think if disabled people had, you know, complete autonomy over the way that access was designed and implemented in the world, it would look fundamentally different to what we think about now. Mm. Um, Isn't that so interesting? Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I think about it all the time and in my work, I've done a few, um, future kind of scenario works of designing say my dream lounge room that and how access might be incorporated Mm. into that and um i have representation of mobility aids and disabled body parts in the works uh because it's so so rare that you see that representation Mm. of those things in 
fine arts in ways that aren't, you know, pitied or mm. medicalized or mm. um, clinicalized or seen as, you know, broken or inspiration mm. or, you know. I feel the need to mention the disabled nudes at this point. Oh, They're yeah, yeah, yeah. Disabled, disabled nudes. nudes. <laughs> <laughs> The series, though, the, yeah. are they lino cuts? Uh, no, they're not. They're digital pieces. They're digital yeah, I'm they're... just being indulgent now. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I did think about doing them as lino cuts. Oh, yeah. I just haven't got around to it. Um, because sometimes I'll do a piece and I'll be like, oh, okay, this could actually work well as, yeah. you know, this form. And yeah. um, so when I was doing those, I was like, oh, this, these would work well as yeah. lino cuts. Yeah. Um, but they kind of came out of... Um, doing some sort of studies and not studies, but like kind of observations of Matisse's collage works, yeah. the blue nudes, um, because I, I love Matisse's work and use of color and shape and form. And especially with his collage works, I actually have one of them tattooed on my leg. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't realize until after I had this tattoo on my leg that he was also a disabled artist and there are photos of him making work from his bed right. of painting, painting on uh, a huge canvas up on the wall. I think I've got a photo <laughs> on my, I, and I had no idea until, until, until I, <laughs> until I Googled it and I, my brain just sort of imploded. <laughs> this was after I had started making works for this show. So oh, I had wow, already yeah. had developed this concept of, of making work from my room. And of course, um, you know, there's also, there's been so many artists throughout history who have been disabled and, and, you know, their disabled identity has been erased. Mm. Um, but there are artists throughout history who have made work from their room. You know, there are artists now making work from their room, but you know, another artist that comes to mind is Frida Kahlo, mm. who also was, um, a disabled queer artist and there are photos of her making work in her bed as mm. well um but yeah there's here's a photo of matisse oh yes in his yeah. in his bed with this very very long almost like a meter long paintbrush and he's painting a big kind of minimalist face mm. on his bedroom wall and i saw this photo and i was like wow this is you know and this is also another representation of of, you know, he obviously had, you know, privilege and access to resources so that he could have this studio mm. set up from his room. But it's this kind of documentation that we don't see through history mm. of artists working in unconventional ways and places and with disabilities. And, and I want to change that, you know. I want to be able to see representation of disabled existence and disabled joy and disabled mm. art through history um well i dare say you are <laughs> being the change as cheesy as that is um and i'm very much looking forward to the show yeah, i'm hoping that too. it will be open pretty shortly after we publish this episode yeah and uh yeah and i hope that people take the time to enjoy the show and yeah. and soak up the different the dynamics of what's in Absolutely. there because there's so much packed in there so much yeah um, yeah and I, I wanted to make sure that the show would be accessible like online as well mm. so that because I have a lot of friends and and people who follow my work from interstate and overseas and especially you know going back to 
disabled access and all of that kind of mm. stuff to the world. That's why I wanted it to be available online so mm. that people can still view it access from their it. room. <laughs> exactly. They can view it from their room. And I think that's something that will resonate quite heavily with a lot of disabled yeah. and chronically ill people. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. All right. Well, uh, I think we'll leave it there and um, let the work speak for itself. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ruby.